This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1... You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. A lot to do, as always. Now, uh, I'm here in San Diego, so I want to do a, a segment or two a little later about the uh, the Oroville Dam. Have you heard of this? This is made national news, I believe, right? It's not, I don't really want to talk about the Oroville Dam. It's more of a metaphor for California and how poorly run this state is. You've probably heard that we're in a drought in California. We're not. Um, for every, first of all, 50 of the state's 58 counties are in flood warnings, have been for about a month or so. Um, but not only that, for every gallon of water that is pumped from the Delta, from our water storage to people, three and a half gallons are pumped into the ocean. California has plenty of water. It's just that our politicians in Sacramento have a ideology that leads them to, to not let us use it. They don't want us to have the water. They don't want us to have more electricity. They don't want us to have more roads. They're purposefully denying us these things. Uh, and that's what we will talk about a little later. But I want to start here because last week, I think it was a little later in the show, we uh, did a segment about how to change people's minds on issues. And I got this note from Setson on Facebook. He said, hey, Mike, well, it happened to me tonight. I ended up in that conversation of hardened progressive versus hardened conservative, and I tried to use the techniques you shared, and I failed miserably. It melted down into an emotional debate so quickly I had to pull the ripcord. I'd be so grateful for more helpful tips on how to get this conversation rekindled. Uh, Stetson, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the attempt. So I've been working on this last couple months, really, on getting this process down um, and, and making it as clear as possible because it is a process. I guess it started with Thanksgiving. You know, We did the, the classic segment on how to talk to your progressive family members. And one of the pieces of advice, as you will remember, is just know that you're not going to change anyone's mind around the Thanksgiving dinner table. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's, it's almost impossible to change someone's mind. Why? Because they have to want their mind to be changed. 
Now, there are circumstances, I'm sure, like Paul, who dedicated his life to killing Christians and then sees Jesus and, and flips, converts right there on the spot. Uh, but that, that almost never happens. So, so really just free yourself of the burden of trying to convert someone in one conversation. It just doesn't work like that. I don't mean to be defeatist, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you to give up. Just manage, manage your expectations. You can only convince someone if they want to be convinced. If they don't, it'll never work. Now, does that make sense? If someone doesn't want to be convinced, if someone doesn't want their mind changed, then they're not going to change their mind. So this leads to the question, can you help someone get to the point where they want to change their mind? Can you, this is different. Does this make sense? So instead of uh, saying, I'm going to change this person's mind so they agree with me, instead, I'm going to get this person to want to change their mind or at least to be open to changing their mind. And then I'll work on getting them to agree with me. That's how the process has to go. You can't shortcut. You can't shortcut to changing, changing their mind. You got to go, you got to have them want to change their mind first. So two background points on this, and then we'll talk about how to do it. First thing, people form opinions like that, that fast. Your brain makes judgments about people in literal milliseconds, specifically 30, 30 milliseconds. They've done a study, they've done many studies, where they'll flash up on a screen a picture of someone's face. And it's so fast that you, you, don't, even, you don't even see it. Like you don't even realize you see it, but your brain does. Like you could never describe that person that you saw up on the screen. It just flashes too fast, but your brain saw it. How do they know? Because they will wire your brain up and they'll, they'll measure the activity in your brain. Specifically, one part of your brain, the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain that's uh, related to judgment of someone's trustworthiness or untrustworthiness. So they'll flash this picture of someone's face up on the screen. Boom, that fast. And before you even know what you saw, your brain already flash made a judgment about whether you trust them or not. That's how fast we judge people. And that's how fast we make judgments on issues. And we talked about this last week. It's called intuitive premacy. Now, I want to use Betsy DeVos as an example just because it's, it's very easy to understand. This is uh, Trump's Secretary of Education. Her name was announced as the nominee. No one outside of Michigan had ever heard of her. No one's ever heard of uh, Betsy DeVos. No one. But then one day, there's a news flash. Betsy DeVos named Trump's Secretary of Education and everyone that fast made an opinion. Bad. I hate her. Or good, I like her. Great pick. <laughs> it's like, no one's ever heard of her. But people made those judgments based off of, uh, well, a number of factors. The biggest, of course, whether or not you like Trump. But we'll go over a few more examples and, and just to prove that there's a lot of different factors that go into people making instantaneous judgments of someone or something. Okay, so that's how fast it goes. Then, the next step, step number one is we form opinions that fast. Step number two is we polish and perfect that initial judgment. From that point forward, everything we do is polish and perfecting that initial judgment we made. We never try to prove ourselves wrong. We only try to prove ourselves right because being right feels good and we want to feel good. 
right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Being wrong feels bad. So we don't try to prove ourselves wrong. We only try to prove ourselves right. So if you are inclined to like Betsy DeVos, and you're, you're thinking, didn't we talk about this last week? We did, but I, I got I to gotta get this background before we move on to the key here. If you are inclined to like Betsy DeVos, all you ask is, can I like her? And then you find one reason why you can. Oh, she's in support of vouchers. Me too. Perfect. I support vouchers. I like her. I knew I was right. If you are inclined to not like her, then you ask, must I like her? And then you find one reason why you don't have to like her. Oh, she doesn't support special needs kids, which obviously is not true, but it doesn't matter. All you got to find one little tiny inkling of a thing. And you're like, oh, pff, I knew I didn't like her. I knew I was right. I knew she was bad. This is how we make judgments all the time. So here's where we are. If you support Betsy DeVos and you're trying to talk to someone who doesn't like Betsy DeVos, which I believe is the conversation Stetson was having with someone. You support her. This person doesn't. It's impossible to convince this person to like Betsy DeVos. It's impossible. Because they're only looking for reasons to not like her. You can give a thousand reasons why she's good. It doesn't matter. Because this person's only looking for reasons why she's bad. So they'll ignore everything you say a hundred times over. They're not interested in disagreeing with themselves. Now keep in mind that themselves is a split millisecond judgment that they made out of nowhere. The first instant they heard Betsy DeVos's name. So that, that was the so now everything is based off of just that one split second decision. That's how we're wired. So you can't get that person from over there to where you are. It just can't happen. So what do we do with this? How do I convince someone to change their mind? Well, again, that's not the right question. It's how do I get someone to want to change their mind? Or how do I get someone to even be open to changing their mind? Okay, here's the two pieces of advice. Here it is. First, and this is what Stetson did. Ask the person, do you want to believe what I'm saying? Do you want to? Like, just be, be upfront. Like, because otherwise, what are we doing here? So, so do you want to believe what I'm saying? And they'll say no. Now, the goal of this is to get the person to realize how closed their mind really is. They'll probably get defensive after that, and that will be the end of the conversation. But hopefully next time they talk to someone, or next time they talk to you, their guard will be a little more down. They'll have a little bit more of an open mind now that they realized how closed their mind was. See, we don't realize, how, we don't realize our brains work like this, like everything I just described. So we don't realize how high our guard is. We don't realize how defensive we are. We don't realize how closed our minds are. So with this simple, hey, do you, just real quick, and not, it doesn't have to be rude. It's just, do you, do you want to, do you want to believe what I'm saying at all? Like, do you want to hear, hear what I'm saying? Just that one simple question and they'll realize how closed their mind is. Now they're going to get defensive for a second, but again, they'll come back the next day and be a little more open mind. Mine did. So do you want to believe what I'm saying? They'll say no, but that's okay. Second piece of advice. Don't ask someone why they think a certain thing. Don't ask them why. Because it doesn't matter. Ask them where they formed that opinion. That's the key. That's the whole thing. 
and, and I hope that if we, we can talk about this enough over time and, and we can really get everyone listening here to be trained to, to ask that question, where did you form that opinion? This is essential. This is the key. Where did you form it? Why you think it doesn't matter. It's where did you form it? And if you can identify that or if they can identify that, that brings them back to that initial judgment point. And then you can start from there. I hope that makes sense. I want to take a break here. I'll come back. I'll identify again how how to do that part because this is key. This is everything. And imagine if conversations are had like this from now on, you'll you'll be so much influential in your circle, so much more influential. Where did you form that opinion? Okay, we'll break that down more next. 1-800-933-93. Mike Slater, so the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. This is Mike Slater. All right, Slater. Thanks for being here. Let's wrap this up here. So imagine a, a Y in your brain, the letter Y. So you're going uh, up the road, right? You and this person who is a, this progressive person, right? Going down this road together, right? Down the straight part of the Y. And then something bad happens. There's a hurt, a pain, a neglect, abuse, ridicule, something that causes a wound in your life. So your life takes a left-hand turn. You start heading in that direction. Instead of going straight, you start heading to the left. That direction is not where you want to go. Okay, that's a life full of uh, regret and fear and anxieties and all that. Let me be specific here. Let's say you were neglected by your parents. Okay, so you're going along, you're growing up, and then boom, you're neglected by your parents. That's the pivot. You go left. So now you grow up having trouble in real life uh, holding lasting, or an adult life, I should say, having lasting committed relationships. And you keep going down that road and you realize you're not in a good place. Now, the only way to get to where you need to be, where you otherwise would be, if it weren't for that neglect when you were younger, is to go back to the source of the pain, go back to the source of the wound, recognize that, work through that, mourn for that, resolve that, then you can turn back to where you need to be, which is up the right-hand part of the Y. 
you can't shortcut from where you are to where you want to be without going back to the source of the pain. So you got to go back, you got to backtrack and then go forward again. You can't shortcut, impossible. In biblical terms, this is repentance and redemption, but it's just truth. You have to identify and then work through whatever that fork in the road was. Whatever caused you to veer left, you got to go back to it in order to go over your right, okay? So th- th- this is the, the conversation we're having though. It's the same thing with, with trying to change someone's mind on an issue. It's the exact same outline. Every judgment made in a millisecond, that's the pivot, that's the fork in that Y. And then they go left, and then everything is done to, conf- to, to prove yourself right. So again, we're talking about Betsy DeVos. Um, and this person who hates Betsy DeVos. Okay, you like Betsy DeVos, they hate Betsy DeVos. They'll give you 10 reasons why they hate her. Right, you ask why, why do you hate her so much? They'll give you 10 reasons, but it doesn't matter. Don't ask why. Well, you can ask why, but and, you know, get them to talk, but nothing's going to happen there. And you can give your 10 reasons why you like her. He'll, she'll give the ten, they'll give the 10 reasons why they hate her and nothing happens. Ask instead where they first formed their opinion on her. And they'll say, where? What do you mean? Yeah, where? Like li- literally, where were you? Um, I was in the teacher's lounge. Okay. What happened? I, I heard a fellow teacher say that she was the nominee. Have you ever heard of her before then? No, I never heard of her. That was the first I've heard of her. Well, what'd the teacher say? What'd that other teacher say about her? Oh, that she was a racist and, and hate, hates kids, just like all Republicans. Hmm. Okay. That, that's, where you, that's where you first heard of Betsy DeVos? That's where you formed your opinion about her? That's where you formed your judgment? Okay. I think at this point, they'll start to realize that it's starting to crumble a little bit. And they'll realize that from that point forward, well, they, they became a little jaded just based off of that one initial judgment. And that was based off of someone else's opinion. So this teacher is going on, think about this why again. This teacher's going on in life, never heard of Betsy DeVos, heard about her for the first time. This is the turning point. This is the hurt or the pain or the wound moment that I was talking about a little bit ago. And he veers left. You, on the other hand, veered right. So you got to get this other person over to this old, totally different place. First, they'll get them back to where they heard of Betsy DeVos. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I guess I guess I, you know, I don't even like that teacher. <laughs> they'll say, you know, maybe that initial judgment I made was a little too hasty. Maybe I shouldn't have taken that other person's word for it. I don't even like that teacher. Maybe instead I should, I should come to my own judgment on Betsy DeVos and not just steal someone else's. And then once they can start thinking about that, once you get them back to that place, back to their pivot point, back to where they, where they first heard about Betsy DeVos, then you can have a conversation uh, that they may at least have a chance of listening with a more open mind and you can get them to where you are. It's the only way though. Only chance. So I, I really mean this. You can, you can, I don't mean to be a jerk, but you can ignore this advice and then never convince anyone of anything ever again. Maybe the super rare chance someone will want to open their mind and you can grasp that moment. But otherwise, it's never going to happen. So we can just keep yelling at each other or we can really 
try to figure out where someone formed their opinion in the first place. I want to give an example of this next. Uh, NPR actually did a uh, interesting experiment, and I hope they do more of these actually. They took two people who got in an argument on Facebook. They didn't, they didn't know each other. They got in an argument on Facebook and NPR had them meet in real life face to face. It was awesome. Because how many arguments have we got on Facebook? I mean, goodness gracious. But they had them talk in real life. And, and in this conversation, they were arguing about welfare. But as they were talking, what they were doing, they didn't know it, but what they were doing was figuring out where each person formed their opinion on welfare. And that's what we have to do. I'll give you another quick example because later, I only got a minute, but later in the show, I want to talk about secondhand smoke and, and uh, please keep, keep your reaction to this until we end up talking about it. But there are zero heart or lung uh, health consequences of secondhand smoke. It's totally made up and I'll explain it a little later. But I, I was talking to a friend of mine and I go, uh, I go, what do you think of secondhand smoke? He goes, it kills. And then I explained why there's no such thing as secondhand smoke. And he's like, what? What do you mean? It kills. It kills. And I was like, where'd you first hear that it kills? And he's like, I don't even know. So why do you think it kills? I don't know. So what were you saying about it again? And he had a way more open mind about what I was saying. It was really interesting. So we'll do that a little later. 888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Good luck. Godspeed. If you use these uh, techniques, let me know how it goes. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. So NPR did a, uh, a fun experiment. I hope they do more of these. They took two people uh, on Facebook who got into a political argument and had them meet in real life. Who here has a Facebook timeline that's just, it's, it's just on fire. It's, it's, it's totally out of control. I think, I think everyone does. I can't like it's 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 so hard to even go on anymore. And Twitter Twitter conversations like are you kidding me? Totally pointless Twitter Twitter discussion like arguments like forget it. Facebook's marginally better, but either is a, a total waste of time when it comes to having uh, political discourse. So NPR a couple weeks back put a picture of a woman in Central Pennsylvania with her husband and, and quoted her quote I've always been for gay rights and always will be. Jane Ruppert says she doesn't support everything Trump said during the campaign, but feels like he was being more authentic than Clinton. So she was a a Trump supporter. 6,000 comments to that article. Most attacking her, obviously. NPR reached out to 10 people who wrote the nastiest comments. Two of them responded. Back to NPR. One of those two women who responded happened to live in the next county. Like right, like right next door. 
How can that be? So this is what the woman wrote in response to uh, this Trump supporter. The should, only good I, thing I about a, should I do a uh, should I do a dramatic? Let me do a dramatic uh, a dramatic representation. I'll just I'll just read it here. She said, um, "The only good thing you know this is how she wrote it. The only good thing." about Trump getting elected is that idiots like this will get a big kick in the boop. The bad part is we all have to suffer long with these unintelligent Trump supporters. Ta, send. Or post or whatever. Like, you know that that's how, uh, how she wrote it. Super angry. So they got the two of them to meet together in the hotel lobby. So a couple of points. First, People write horrible stuff on Facebook that they would never say to someone's face. Ever. Because they know... I was going to say it's because they know it's mean, but it's not that it's mean. It's, it's they know that it's not how they would want to be treated. I mean, that, that's what it is. So, so people... I think humans are ingrained with the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. So in face-to-face interactions, the golden rule is pretty obvious. Like, I'm not going to be super mean to this. Or I'm not, let's, let's just, let's be extreme. I'm not going to punch this person in the face because I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> and it's like, well, I don't want to be super rude to this person because I don't want them to be super rude back. So, so it kind of just puts a temper on our, the way we talk to each other most of the time. But with the anonymity of Facebook, you can just type something on Facebook, press enter, walk away, feel good about yourself and never see how that person reacts. So there's a disconnect of the golden rule. Right? You think you're immune from the golden rule consequences when people write stuff on Facebook. It's the craziest thing. I'll get every once in a while. I don't get too much anymore, but I'll get hate mail. Slater, you're the worst. You're so stupid. I hate you. Blah, 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 blah. And I always write back. Always. Always write back. Man, like, sorry, feel that way. What, what was it specifically that you were, that you were upset with? Like, what did I, what did I, what did I exactly do? I'd love to improve. I just kill him with kindness. Like, Thank you for giving the show a chance. I hope maybe one day in the future you can listen again. Uh, you know, we'll be here always trying to get a, and and every time, I'm not kidding, every time they write back, Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't think you were I didn't think you were gonna read. <laughs> I didn't think you were gonna write back, I didn't think you were gonna read it. It was like they thought they were just sending it off to a fake person. It's hilarious. And and, and every time they're like, Oh, I'm sorry, I was just having a really bad day. Hey, I actually really like your show. <laughs> it's like, well, what the heck were you, were you just doing? It's the anonymity of it all. So that's why I like this little social experiment here with NPR because it takes two, two women who you know, are fighting on Facebook and brings them together. And they sit next to each other now. All right, so this is, um, this is the Trump hater reading out loud what she wrote on Facebook. Now, listen to the tone of her voice compared to how you know she wrote it, right? You know she wrote it. The only good thing, the stupid Trump's, right? This is how she read it in real life, 1365. The only good thing about Trump getting elected is that idiots like this will get a big kick in the The bad part is, is we were all have to suffer along with these unintelligent Trump supporters. Right, so it's like, it wasn't, it was a little bit better. It wasn't perfectly sweet and kind, but I think as she was reading it, she was like, oh, geez. This is, uh, this is how the woman responded. Next clip. Well, it's hurtful. I mean, she doesn't even know me. She's basing my intelligence off of one decision. You know, that's like just being so judgmental and very unfair. So people on Facebook say things they never say to your face. And I just say that just because just don't get worked up over it. 
Don't get worked up over it and don't. Just don't engage. Really don't. Point two. We have this uh, in our culture today, this fetish for diversity. We talk about it all the time. And on Facebook, things that make us different are obvious, right? This woman likes Trump. This woman hates Trump. These, they're different fight. That's how that works. But when they met in person in the hotel lobby, they're both registered nurses. They're both moms. They both grew up in the same part of the state. They're both the same age. So they have the same like cultural, you know, markers and, and experiences and all the rest growing up in the same part of the country at the same time. They have so much in common. That's incredible. And and then and that's what you discover when you actually talk to someone face to face. And that's what we're losing in our society, among other things. Main point though, this is them uh, getting into a conversation about welfare. I, I think this is the the Clinton supporter, the, the Trump hater, talking about welfare. I know that it's helped me and it's helped others that I am friends with. Um, they now have college degrees. They are now in considered middle class. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing. But you took the system and you bettered yourself. There are people who don't do that. I have had personal friends who are still on welfare, who are still getting Section 8, who are still getting food stamps and not trying to do anything with their lives. There are career welfare people. Any response to that? Um, I guess I just find it. I, I'm always flabbergasted that people are so upset by helping people and feeding people and make sure people have housing. You're right. There's nothing wrong with helping people. Helping people who want to be helped and not are just walking around with their hand out. Why do you let other people's situations bother you so much? Like, it's not really affecting you because, I mean, really, if you go and do the research on it, you're not paying that much money of your taxes isn't going to social programs. It's going to everything else. As the conversation continues, it becomes clear that Jamie had an experience a few years back that played a big role in her decision to vote for Trump. She lived in Wilkes-Barre in a rough neighborhood. I had two white guys pull up in front of my house, start shooting up heroin 5 o'clock in the afternoon during the summer, broad daylight. Jamie says her family was struggling financially. There was a subsidized apartment building nearby that attracted crime and drug dealing. Jamie says she saw people driving away in nice cars. It upset her that people who broke the rules appeared to be doing well. Okay. I share that because everyone's initial judgment, that's what we were just talking about the first half hour of the show, everyone's initial judgment is based off of something. Right. That's why you got to ask people, where did you form this opinion? Where, where did this come from? Everyone's opinion today is based off of a something, like an initial moment. And then it creates a movie in our head. So for the Clinton supporter, the movie in her head is, I was on welfare. It helped me. I think welfare is good. And I'm only going to pay attention to examples of it being good. And I'm only going to paint a picture in my head of welfare recipients being grateful, understanding people wanting to better themselves, just like I was. And that's plays in her head over and over and over. And that's why when the Trump supporter, or that, that's, why, me, that's why the Clinton supporter said something like, what is wrong with helping people? How can you be against helping people? Because to her, in her brain, that's all welfare is. It's helping people. Where did you come that, to that opinion? Well, it helped me. See, that, that's, that's the connection. Now, the Trump supporter, 
where did you, so she's, she's against, you know, these big welfare programs. Where did you, like, where, where did you form this opinion? Well, let me tell you, <laughs> I had this experience living next to section eight housing, people driving nice cars, a lot of moochers, all the rest. So in her head, the movie, the, the movie in her head is about people are moochers. They're using section eight. It's a waste of money. They're driving nice cars. It's not fair. They're on it for their entire lives. Like this is the movie that plays in her head over and over. That's why she is like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get the people like, like this is killing people. This is keeping people enslaved. They're in the system forever. They're in the churn. They never get out. They're taking advantage of you. This is why. And, and if you were talking to this person, you'd be like, man, where'd you form that opinion? When I was 12, I, I goes back to the where. So I'm not going to talk about who's right or wrong here. That doesn't matter. It's not the point of what we're talking about. The point is that these two women, you can see how clear it is. They're wares. Where did their opinion come from? And again, if you want to change someone's mind on an issue, don't just get them to list off the reasons why welfare is good or bad. Get them to go back to where they formed their judgment. Because everything after that judgment is only done to conform confirm their initial opinion. So if you want to change their initial opinion, you got to go back to the moment that they formed it. And these two women each had very different experiences. But unless they can go back to that experience, you'll never go in a different direction with them. It's the way our brains work. one 888 Slater Radio, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater! I want to talk about California coming up next and how California is so horribly run as you know but i got some really interesting uh, stories to share we'll do that next but real quick i got about three minutes i want to talk about the department of education uh well first mark uh bowerlein made a really great point uh, about betsy devos i know we've mentioned her name a few times the unions keep saying you know she doesn't support public education she's horrible she's horrible you can't vote for her she doesn't support public education i never picked up on this but mark bowerlein nailed it Betsy DeVos is not the secretary of the Department of Public Education. She's the secretary of the, de- of the Department of Education. Or excuse me, she's not the secretary of the Department of Public Schools. That's what I meant to say. I apologize. She's not the secretary of the Department of Public Schools. She's the secretary of the Department of Education. Very different. She's not there to defend public schools or to fund pro- public schools or to improve public schools. She's there to improve kids' education, whatever it takes to get kids to learn, whatever it takes. So the fact that the unions are arguing that she's not essentially the secretary of the Department of Public Schools proves that that's their higher priority. Public schools, not kids' education. So I got two minutes here. Where did the Department of Education start? You know, where seems to be the key word of, of the hour here. Where did it start? Yeah, I ask all the time, why does it still exist? And no one can answer that question. But where did it start in the first place? Well, before 1979, when it started, it was the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. And they took the Department of Education, or they took the education part out of it and made it, it made it its own bureaucracy. That was President Carter. Why? 
1976, he made a campaign promise to the National Education Association. That's the largest uh, labor union in the United States, one of the teachers' unions. This is the Washington Post, 1980. The NEA, the union, teachers' union, gave its first presidential endorsement ever in 1976 when Walter Mondale promised them at an NEA annual meeting that the Carter administration would form an education department. At the 76th Democratic National Convention, more delegates, 180, belonged to the NEA than any other group of any kind. They endorsed Carter for 1980 and were a major force in getting delegates to the Iowa caucuses, which he won and then you know, made a big deal for, uh, for Carter in Iowa. So the question the Washington Post asked in 1980 was, is the department then a creature of the NEA? The executive director said that's true. There would be no department without the NEA. Carter's approval rating at the time was 30% because of the oil crisis and a bunch of other things. Personally, the Department of Education was really low on his priorities list. But he thought if he made it happen, then he would get the powerful NEA vote, the teachers' union vote, and maybe win re-election. Isn't that amazing? That's all it was. Just a campaign handout. Check out this quote. This is uh, Wall Street Journal. This is a Democrat who voted for it. Uh, who says that Democrats voted for the Department of Education because, first, they didn't want to embarrass their president, right? The Democratic president who was running for re-election. That would look bad right before an election. Uh, you know, the Democrats not voting for something he wanted, right? And this is a quote. The idea of an education department is really a bad one, but it's the NEA's top priority. There are school teachers in every congressional district, and most of us simply don't need the aggravation of taking them on. So it started purely as a giveaway to the teachers' union. That's it. And now it exists really only still because of the teachers' union. As a way to keep their union power and the dues coming in. Enough already. Enough. Now we know why it started. We went back to the where total scam there was no need for it. it's not like people were clamoring for it. that's my point it's not like parents are like oh we need the federal government to be in charge and no no politicians were even calling for it it was a totally a creation of the teachers union and it's being held on by the teachers union and it's got to go 1-888-933-93 slater radio on twitter we'll talk about the oroville dam and how california is a mess coming up next brother word you're listening to mike slater Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.